Hopefully, over the last few weeks, as we have talked about prayer and we focused on prayer during our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and as we've mentioned to you, the Bible app, which has a daily refresh, which gives you prompts for prayer, and I've mentioned the Pray First app, which is a great way to get started in prayer, and I've mentioned this book, A Praying Life, multiple times uh, in the last couple of sermons. Hopefully, you have felt a, a, a enabled, equipped to take maybe a first step in prayer. And hopefully over these last couple of weeks, you've had some personal prayer time. Hopefully the message two weeks ago helped you know that you can start in prayer like talking to your father, talking like a child would talk to its parents, that it doesn't have to be anything really complicated. You can just call on to God simply. Last week's message about the harvest, I hope it helps you see that our God is the God of the harvest, and the harvest that we're talking about is not corn and soybeans, but rather the difference we want to see made in our lives and in our community and in the people around us. But as you've started over these last few weeks to perhaps pray, it might be that you've started to pray, which is huge, and we celebrate that with you, and you pray for the basics, and you, you give God thanks, and then a couple of minutes in, you're not sure what to say next. You're not sure what to, what to talk about next. And my hope is that the message today and next week will help you know how you can continue in that conversation in prayer. What do you pray for? Now, it might be that you're here and you say, I know exactly what I need to pray for. I have a long list. I have all of these needs. I have all of these areas that I'm asking God to move, and I pray for them on a regular basis. But after I pray, it doesn't feel like anything's happening, and I don't know what to do. And so if you're in either one of those camps this morning, that you're not sure what to pray for, or if you're not sure what to do, I think today's message will help you. And I want to help you with this passage of Scripture that has been really special to me for many years. Um, there's a guy at the gym who, he knows I'm a pastor, so on a regular basis, he'll say, Pastor, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I told him, I'm, I'm preaching on 2 Kings chapter 3, and I told him the story that's in 2 Kings chapter 3, and he goes, Man, I don't, I don't think I know that one. I think I've missed that one. And it is a story that's kind of obscure, that's easy to miss if you're not paying close attention. So this morning, I want you to see how God works powerfully in a situation where people aren't sure what to do or how God can save them. In this passage, we have three kings who have formed kind of a strange alliance. This was during a period of time that always confused me in Bible college when I would take uh, Old Testament classes. I always mixed up this period of, of history because it's a time when Israel gets split into two nations. And one of the nations keeps calling itself Israel, which is confusing. And the other nation is called Judah. There's kind of a civil war and a splitting apart. Imagine if our nation, after the Civil War, there, the, the, the nation had split, and there was the United States of America still, but it was just the North, and there were the Confederate states that were in the South. We have Israel, and we have Judah. And God works in this period of time, and there are times when Judah has good kings and times that Israel has good kings. But in this moment, it's a period of time where Judah has a good king. His name is Jehoshaphat. And then there is a king who is evil. In Israel. But in this period, 
these two kings partner up. They form an alliance. And it might have been that the good king, Jehoshaphat, he was trying to build unity back between the nations. But these two kings partner with a third king, and they go out to do battle against a fourth king, the king of Moab. And if you've already lost track of all of these kings, it's fine. Okay, you're all right. You'll still be able to appreciate this message without knowing who all of these kings are. The three kings, they head out to war. And they've traveled seven days with their armies, and suddenly they find themselves in a place where they have no water, and they're stuck. And it's been said that good generals think about battle tactics, but great generals think about battle logistics. Because the biggest part of organizing a war is making sure that you have the resources, the food to feed your troops, to feed your army. For some reason, these three kings, they find themselves in a place where they have no water for themselves or for their cattle. And listen, if you've been on a trip with your family and it's been too long since people had something to eat, you know that everyone can suddenly get very testy and suddenly it's that moment where there's not another exit for 20 miles, right? And everybody begins to bicker. I wanted to stop last exit, but you didn't want that. And these kings could have started fighting. They could have argued amongst the three of them whose fault this was. The passage doesn't really go into detail telling us how they got into this situation. It might have been a bad plan. It might have been that the king that they were fighting against saw an opportunity and cut off their access. It may have been that there was just a lack of rain, and because of a lack of rain, it was was barren, and it was a famine. There was no water to be found. Whatever the reason was, they get in this situation where there's no water for their soldiers, There's no water for their horses, and there's no water for their cattle. And they're going to die. They're in a bad way. And Jehoshaphat, the king, the good king, he says, is there a prophet nearby that could give us some guidance? And that's where we're going to pick up reading in 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse 11. Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. Jehoshaphat says, I've heard of that guy. I know how powerful he is. I know that he has God's ear. God is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom Edom went down to him, these three kings. And the beginning of this passage, the king of Israel is named. We're given his name, but throughout the rest of this passage, he's just the king of Israel. And you're going to see why here in a moment. Look at verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? What are you doing here? Why don't you go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother? See, the situation was that the king of Israel, Jehoram, that he was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. He was the son of two very wicked people. He was the son of two people that had led Israel away from God. He was the son of two people that tried to kill Elisha's uh, mentor, Elijah. And so there is bad blood here. 
And this is one of those instances where you, you've read the Bible and you've learned these stories. That you have that background and you can understand what's going on behind the scenes in this situation. Verse 13b, the second part of 13 says, But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of the Moab. What Jehoram, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, says is, This is God's fault. The situation we're in is God's fault. He put us in this situation. Now, if Elisha was already a little frustrated, I'm sure that that kind of sent him over the edge. Like, listen, you got yourself in a bad situation, and now you want to blame God. By the way, we've been known to do that, haven't we? We make some bad choices. We face the consequences of those choices, and we say, why is God doing this to me? God isn't doing it to you. You're just facing the consequences of your choices. That's where these three kings find themselves. But the king, he wants to blame God. And Elisha answers him in verse 14 and says, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now that's great, okay? Elisha's, he's just telling it like it is. He's, he's telling this guy what he really thinks. But 15 is the cherry on top here. Because 15 says, but now bring me a musician. <laughs> he says, listen, I, I don't even want to look at you, okay? But because this other guy's here, I'll talk to you. Now go get me a musician. Go find me a musician. Find me a minstrel. One of the things that I love about the Bible app that I mentioned to you, the Daily Refresh to help you have prompts for prayer, and the Pray First app is that both of them have instrumental music that you can play, no words, that you can play while you're going through these prompts for prayer. What Elisha does here is he uses music to quiet his mind and quiet the frustrations that he has with this evil king to inquire after the Lord. And friends, let me tell you that oftentimes when I sit down or kneel down to pray, I need to quiet my mind because there are many things that I could think of, many items I could be thinking about that I should do, many situations that I'm unsure about. But if I can quiet my mind and be still, I'm able to focus on the Lord and spend time with Him. And that's what Elisha does here. He asks for a musician so that he can focus on the Lord and hear from him. Verse 15 goes on to say, then it happened. And we're about to hear what God is going to reveal to Elisha. But friends, I want to encourage you that if you will take time to meet with God and quiet your mind, If you will take time to meet with God and set everything else aside, it will happen. The Lord will come to you. He will speak to you. He will meet with you. What Scripture tells us is that God desires to have relationship with us. And what it has showed us again and again and again is that God will go through great lengths to reach us if we will pause, if we will be still. So Elisha pauses to have a musician play, and then it happened 
that the Lord spoke to him. The hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said in verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. By the way, he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Elisha has a moment. God speaks to him and he says, make the valley full of dishes because God is going to send the water. Back in 2011, I preached on this passage because God had spoken to me through it and challenged me. When I preached on that passage here at our church back in 2011, it resonated with people. In our blue-collar congregation, people could identify with the idea of praying and digging. Praying and asking God to send the water and digging the ditches that would be filled with the water. And in the years that followed, there would be situations in our church where we'd have a decision to make, where we'd run out of parking and we we needed to figure out where we were going to have people park and we'd be in a board meeting and someone would say, it sounds like we need to pray and dig a ditch. Sounds like we need to pray and then start digging. And every time we did, we would pray and we would dig and God would send the water. This morning, I want you to see from this passage of Scripture that has meant so much to me over the last 15 years, I want you to see how you can know what to pray and what to do. There's two lessons from this passage, and then we'll close with an application. The first lesson here is there is work that God chooses not to do for you. There is work that God chooses not to do for you. Listen, there are times in the Bible that God's people needed water, and God just sent rain. Elijah, who was Elisha's mentor, prayed for rain, and God sent rain, and the people had all the rain that they needed. Moses, when he was leading the people in the desert, the people were thirsty, and he hit a, a, a rock with his staff, and water gushed out of it. Another occasion, they need water, but the water's not good to drink, and God says, cut down this branch and throw it in the water, and the water will be fine to drink. There were multiple times when God's people needed water that God just sent the water. He allowed it to fall from heaven. But in every one of those cases, you'll find that the people of God has some responsibility on their side to take care of. There's a really good example of this in the desert when the people are making their way and they're hungry and they need food. God sends them manna. Every morning they would wake up and there would be manna on the ground, and manna is like a bread. And the Bible tells us that manna was like a honey biscuit. How many of you like a honey biscuit, man? Come on. Not keto-friendly, but so delicious, so good. It tasted sweet. It was good. And every morning they wake up, and there would be manna on the ground, and they just go out and collect it. But they had to collect it every day. If they collected a whole bunch to store it away in case it didn't come the next day, You know what happened in the morning? When that manna they collected the day before, that morning, the next morning, it would be rotten. 
they had to collect it every morning. They had to go out and collect it each day, except for the day before the Sabbath day. On the day before the Sabbath day, they could collect a double portion, and that would keep through the Sabbath. What was God teaching them? They would have to work, and they would have to trust in him day by day. Here, they come to Elisha, and they need help, and he gives them work. You ever done that? You've come to God, and you've asked him for help, and he gives you a task. That's what's happening here. They need help, and God gives them a job to do. He wants them to be a part of the process, and in this occasion, the process isn't easy. It's hard. It's some of the hardest work you can do. In fact, when people speak of hard work, they often refer to hard work as digging ditches. It's a menial task. People will say, like, man, even if I have to dig ditches, I'll do it to earn enough money to do whatever that thing might be. Right? People might say of their child, even if they grow up to be a ditch digger, I'll be proud of them. It's not notable work. It's hard work. It's obscure work. This is what God wants them to do. He wants them to fill the valley with ditches, to go and dig ditches so that when the water comes, there's a place for the water to be held. And Elisha doesn't even say it'll come by rain. He says, you're not going to feel any wind. You're not going to see a cloud. You're not going to know where it's coming from. But if you fill the valley with ditches, the water will come. And they'll be full. And the valley will be full of water, plenty enough for you to drink and your animals to drink as well. I think there's an important lesson for us here. I think we must realize that God's blessings in our lives are not cheap. They're not freebies. They're not easy. Now, we have to walk a fine line here because we are people who believe in grace. We know that our salvation is not based on works. We don't earn to receive what we get from God. We believe in free grace and free salvation for all. We believe what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one can brag about the grace they've received because they didn't earn it. It was given to them. We don't work for our salvation. But even in that, there is a responsibility. God died on the cross to pay for our sins and makes it possible for us to receive this gift of salvation. And all we do is we accept it. We receive it, but we must do that. We must be willing to accept it, to believe it. You know, when I read about the lives of great preachers and missionaries of years gone by, what I see is people who believed in God and prayed bold prayers, but also had an incredibly strong work ethic. They believed God would do great things through their lives. They prayed that God would do great things in their lives, and that inspired them to do incredible work. These kings come to Elisha. They say, Elisha, we need water. Elisha says, God will bless you with water if you will dig and make the valley full of ditches. Listen, this is not super popular. A more popular concept in Christianity is name it and claim it. God, I want water. I claim water in your name. Give me water. You name a promise in your life. God, I want money. I claim the promise of wealth. Give it to me. 
I've seen a lot of people preach that. I've seen a lot of people sell books about that. I haven't seen it work out a whole lot. What I have seen work instead is, God, I want more of you in my life. And they receive it when they're willing to dig into Scripture and dig into prayer and dig into God. These guys come to Elisha for help and they find work. And friend, I want you to know that God is willing and able to bless you, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that it falls on you like rain. God might say, absolutely, here's a shovel. Absolutely, here's a pickaxe. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Daniel, I want to see my kids grow up to live for God. Well, here's a shovel. Because ask any parent who's raised children, they will tell you it's a lot of hard work. Pastor Daniel, I want to get out of debt. I want to glorify God with my finances. Well, here's a shovel and an axe. Because I've seen God do that in the lives of people who are willing to cut their expenses and do the hard work. Pastor Daniel, I want my marriage to make it. Well, here's a shovel. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be work. It's going to be work. Pastor Dan, I want to see people in my life come to know Jesus. Here's a shovel because God's going to have to do a work in their heart, but there's a call on you to build relationships and share the message boldly. It's for this reason that Paul would encourage believers in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do the work because you know that in the Lord, the labor is not in vain. Have you ever done some labor that was in vain? Have you ever worked on something and an hour later you're like, I don't, I don't think I made any progress. Let me give you an example, okay? So our church website Man, there's a lot of companies out there that are willing to build it for you, and it's thousands of dollars. I said, well, I can probably do that, right? Found a cheaper option. And then they, they'll, this company, what they do is they, they, they give you the tools to build it yourself, and then they give you a score of how well you'll show up in search engines. And so I followed their tool, and it showed us that on a scale of 1 to 100, we got a 46. I don't know if you know this, but that's not a passing grade. But, but they give you, like, here's all the steps. Here's what you need to do. Here's the work that you need to do to fix it. So I worked on it for two hours. Two hours in my office, work on doing this, you know. Did all these steps. All right, put the website back through the, the audit, 44. <laughs> two hours of work, we went backwards. That was work done in vain. Paul is able to tell the Corinthians, your labor is not in vain if your labor is in the Lord. It's not wasted. It's not meaningless. And listen, if you have spent portions of your life working towards something only for it to fall apart, you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall, that no matter what you do, you can't break through. Know that when you work with God, you're not working in vain. Why is that? Because while God chooses not to do everything for you, there is work that only God can do for you, and He is willing to do for you. These guys could dig ditches, but only God could send the water. 
They could work hard. They could prepare them for the water, but only God could send it. Those missionaries and preachers of old who believed and worked, many of them worked so hard and they didn't see the produce of all of their efforts because it came after they died. Their, their work was not in vain, but only God could give that increase. Only God could send that rain. Only God could send that water. Listen, you can put in the effort of training your child, but only God can change their heart. And talk to any parent who's raised their child to love God. They'll tell you, yeah, it was hard work, but also I messed up along the way. And God was so gracious. And he worked in spite of me. Yeah, it was hard work, but I don't deserve any of the credit because God did that. God did that. Listen, you can work hard to cut your expenses and save your money and do the debt snowball and Financial Peace University. But you talk to anybody who's done that, they'll tell you, man, it was hard work, but God was so good. God blessed. God made a way for us when there was no way. Yeah, we worked hard, but God deserves the credit because he's the one that brought it to pass. Listen, you can work hard at communication and romance in your marriage, but only God can keep hearts turned toward one another. Talk to any saints that have been married for 60 years that still love each other. You can talk to some saints that have been married for 60 years who just tolerate one another. It would be a different story. <laughs> but talk to two saints that have been married for 60 years that still love each other, and they'll tell you, yeah, it was hard work. But thank God for how good he was. Listen, you can build relationships and you can share the gospel, but only God can bring about the necessary conviction of sin and convincing of the truth. You can dig the ditch, but only God can send the water. Only God can bring the increase. We can work hard and pray, but only God can change hearts. Only God can change lives. God won't do your job for you, but you can't do his job for him. You ever tried to do God's job? I have. I've tried to do the Holy Spirit's work in someone's life. I've tried to orchestrate the details like only God can. Listen, God won't do your job for you, but you cannot do his. And this is key. When we recognize what our role is and what his role is, and we believe, this is key, if we believe that he'll do his job, we're inspired to do ours. Listen, if I'm thirsty, the last thing I want to do is dig a ditch. If I haven't had anything to drink in days, the last thing I want to do is dig in dry, thirsty ground. So why did they do it? Because they believed God would send the water. Now there's a good, good bit of desperation mixed in here. They don't really have any other options. And friend, when, when you're lacking in faith, desperation can carry you quite a long way. But if we believe that God will work for us, that He will do what only He can do, and we're clear on what it is that only we can do, we are inspired to do what we are called to do and trust Him to do what only He can do. You know, the problem is that we rarely get desperate anymore. We rarely find ourselves in a place like these men were where they were desperate. We are so blessed. So blessed. It is freezing cold outside. We got heat. 
I don't think that here anybody struggled to have water this week. If you did, I want you to talk to me after service so we can help you. But most of us in this room right now, we are not desperate. Because we're not desperate, we feel like we can handle it on our own. But in desperation, we recognize, man, what I really need, only God can do. Only He can bring to pass. And friend, that's not just true and some need that you have or you want God to answer a prayer request. It's true in your heart. You might not know it, but your situation is truly desperate. What your heart needs, you cannot provide to yourself. What your heart needs, you cannot bring to pass for yourself. Only God can. The Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked that it's in our nature to do the wrong thing. That from the very beginning, no one has to teach us to do wrong. We just choose it naturally. It comes natural to us. And for this reason, our hearts are not able to make us right because they're starting from the wrong place. Only God can bring about the transformation that's needed in our hearts. We are desperate for Him to save us from ourselves. We are desperate for Him to give us the grace that we need, that we cannot earn, that we can only receive as a gift. There is work that God chooses not to do for us, and there is work that only God can do for us. And if we believe that God will send the water, we'll dig the ditches. If we believe that God can send the water, and He's willing to send the water, we'll dig the ditches. So friend, I need to tell you this morning, God has sent the water. He sent something better than water. He sent His Son. He sent the one who makes it possible for your dry, parched heart to know love and grace. He sent the water. He sent His Son. He sent His goodness. There's work that you are called to do, and there's work that only God can do. And He's doing it. He's done it. So what's the application? The application is, you need to identify the water. What is it in your life that you need God to do that only He can do? What is it that's missing in your life that you need God to provide that only He can provide? What's missing? For some of you in your heart, it's that you need God's grace and His love. For some of you, there's some need, some thing, some brokenness, something that you need God to restore. What is it that you need God to provide that only He can provide? If you've identified that, pray for it. Ask God for it. Very, very easy to start in two places. Two things that, two areas of life that are outside of our control. One is other people. There's probably people in your life that you can't control. You can't make them different. And you want it not just because it makes your life easier, but because you love them. And you want what's good for them. Friend, pray for them. Pray for them. Pray that God would do in their heart and life what only God can do in their heart and life. That's an easy place to start because it's always easier for us to think of what God needs to do in other people. The second is your own heart. 
Last week, we looked at the fact that the Lord is the Lord of the harvest, and that harvest is Him bringing His gospel to bear in our lives and bringing produce. Later, Paul would tell the Galatian believers that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, patience, that the Spirit being present in their life would produce these things, would produce a harvest. What is the harvest? What is the virtue that is missing in your heart and life that you need God to provide? What is the transformation that you need God to bring in your heart and life? If you've identified what it is that only God can provide, pray for it. And when you've prayed for it, I believe it'll happen. I believe God will show you where you need to dig. I believe God will show you where your work is, what you're called to do, where your role is, what steps you need to take. Ask God and then dig. Pray and dig. You know what I found in my own life is that there is no better time for me to make a to-do list than right after I've prayed. When I spend time with God in the morning and I listen, He clarifies what's important and what needs to happen. He shows me what only He can do and what I need to do. And when we spend time with God, when we pray, we're ready to dig. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer?